part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. I'm going to ask the Dorothys to come up here and Crawfords if you want to come up here. And today we do get to uh, just enjoy cute kids. And, uh, you know, that's always good. That's always a good, good thing. And yet this morning I do want you to know that is this really can be a sentimental time. You know, you look at all these families and you look at the beauty of it and you think of, especially now that I'm a, a granddad, you, you start thinking of, you know, just how wonderful that is. And yet they come today and we've kind of supplied them with some information saying, okay, this is very sentimental and yet this is a really an important part of your lives because you stand and you say, okay, we know this beauty of the cross. We know what Christ has done, what God has done in this gospel. And we just want to, to, to pledge ourselves as best as we can as parents, as family members to lead these children to know Christ. And we would pray at a very, very early age that they would not at 12 and not even at, at 22 or 32, but that maybe even seven or eight, six, seven or eight, that they would come in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, putting their childlike faith into this finished work of Jesus Christ. Well, families, I know that we're on a timetable here as far as how, how long they're going to be paying attention, but I, I want to challenge you with something that we find in the Old Testament in Joshua. In the book of Joshua, the, the Israelites were in captive. They were captivity, and they had been slaves for hundreds of years. God led them out of captivity to a place called the promised land and it's kind of a an old testament picture of what's going to come ultimately to all of our lives as the savior would come and lead us from captivity to a place of life and promise and so they, they do that and they cross over the jordan river and the jordan river was like at flood stage and so they were afraid to go across and they didn't want to lose their children they didn't want to do you know do anything that would lose their lives after they've been wandering for 40 years and God said, okay, here's the plan. You go down there. And, and he gave them a descriptive plan of how to cross over this flood stage Jordan. And they followed God's plan and the water stopped and they were able to go across and they were all able to get over to the promised land and begin that part of their experience and their life. And uh, then God said, okay, I want you to do something. I, I want you to take 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel and I want you to build these 12 stones up and I want you to put it there right where you crossed over. And they asked, why are we going to do that? He said, because in the generations to come, as people would pass by, I want your children to be able to say, you know, why are those 12 stones there? And I want you to remind them of what I did this day, how I took you out of captivity and I brought you to a place of life. I say that this morning because that's really the challenge. That was Old Testament and it was a foretelling of what Christ was going to do. But really, that's what, you know, today, you, you really have very little power or control over the salvation of your child as far as you can't make somebody love Jesus. In fact, we have found out in parenting that there are some things that we just can't make our children to do at all, you know, that we're kind of powerless. But we can certainly mold and shape and give the, the information and we can give the experience of our own love. John Piper said this. He said one of the greatest challenges that children see of growing up and, and kind of coming to, to follow Christ is what they see in their parents. If they see passion and they see devotion, they said it's almost just natural that they would want that same passion and devotion in their own lives. We were at a men's meeting over at my house one time and we were talking about 
You know, that every one of us individually have to come to Jesus Christ on our own. It's an individual decision. There are no grandchildren in, you know, in heaven. Everybody is a son or a daughter of the living king. And we have to have that own personal relationship. But we talked about how the scripture said that, but we can kind of make the road. We can kind of pave the road. And I'll never forget, Bruce isn't here this morning, but I'll never forget what he said. He said, Pastor, he said, my dad paved that road so wide that even with all of my kind of going back and forth, I couldn't fall off that road. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what we as parents, that we would pave that path so wide that even during those rebellious teenage years and even those questioning years and all those other times that we're naturally going to come to all of us, that we would pave it so wide in our love and example of Jesus Christ that they would just say, you know, I, I didn't even come to the edge because of what my parents did in paving that path. And so this morning, you stand before a congregation and you stand before people that love you. And, and I know that y'all are relatively new to our church, but we're so glad that you're here today. And Sean, I'm just glad that you're leading your, your family in this way. And Leanna, that, that you come and, and you say, this, this is what we want. And Miss Finley has already had a really good breakfast. I'm impressed by her eating ability here this morning. And I've already, already shown her a picture on the front of the bulletin this morning. But uh, we have four questions for you this morning that really express the commitment. And after they express their commitment, I have a question for you, church, and your proper response this morning. If that is the commitment of your heart, that you would say, we do, when I get to that place. And so this morning, families, do you acknowledge that your child is a gift from God and that you are responsible for, to God for her Christian nurture. Will you pray for your child's salvation and teach your child the way of salvation through faith in the finished work of Christ and his work alone? Since your child will learn both uh, by your word and your example, will you set a godly example in prayer, loving God's word, being an active part of a local body of believers and serving others in the local church. Do you at this time present your child before a holy God, saying that whatever God might want your child to do or be, that you are willing to release her into his perfect plan? A Cornerstone Church this morning, as they have made this commitment, knowing their limitations, but also knowing that God has placed upon them this great responsibility of leading their children that forever show their children the cross before them. Do you as a church, knowing that you will be teaching them in the back, that there will be times at vacation Bible school, there will be other times that you're going to have interaction with these kids and you're going to be a part of their growing up, do you as a church say this morning, we, we promise to do everything we can to show them the love of Christ. What's well, in this commitment this morning that we thank God, that we can verbalize with our mouth, some of those things that sometimes we can't even express with our heart. So, Finley, I've got something for you today. Do you like to read? Or, or mom and dad to read stories to you? Well, I've got a book. This is 52 weeks of Bible stories. And what's really cool, it's got an app that goes with it that will even tell you that much more. But mom and dad, I don't think, and she looks like a really, really smart girl, okay? Looks very, very smart, but... I don't know that she's quite reading yet. 
And so that shows the responsibility that for the word of God and these wonderful, wonderful principles and truths to get into her heart and her life, even now, that is upon you. Not as a heavy weight, but yes, very much as this responsibility. So, so we present this to you today. And let me do one thing. Let me just change that with you. <laughs> You're going to go, who's this Lucy girl? <laughs> And we're so glad that today that you can stand before people that maybe you don't know really well, but that will covenant with you to say, yes, we're going to do everything we can to see that Knox at an early age and and Finley will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And uh, Miss Lucy, I I have the magic ability of putting her to sleep. Uh, They have my podcast right there so that on those tireless nights, they put on Pastor Bobby, and boom, she's out, <laughs> along with Andy. <laughs> but guys, y'all have been here uh, twice before, and uh, now third time with this beautiful, beautiful blessing of Lucy. And um, it gets as special each time. It truly is one of those things. In one way, it's, a, it's kind of a heavy weight. It's kind of one of those things that when we understand that responsibility as grandparents and, and uncles and aunts and, and that, okay, we're really kind of responsible for shaping and molding this heart. And yet, because the work is finished in Jesus Christ, it's not for you to reinvent anything. It's simply for you to tell the story. And so that way, that's why we present, will you hold this or for your sister? I think you have one sort of like that. And y'all can enjoy those stories as you live out this commitment to raise her to know Christ and in the beauty of Christ. Today, church, let's pray for them and let's acknowledge God's grace and his beauty and, uh, and celebrate with them today. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. And Father, I thank you this morning that these two families can stand here with these beautiful children, beautiful in every single way, we lift up Lucy to you, Father. We lift up Finley to you. And Father, we pray that truly at an early age, they would have such an affection for you. That, Father, they wouldn't have to, to, to wander around in life and find you later on in life. But, Father, through the example of their parents, through the local church and, and others that would just love on them, that, Father, that they would feel the embrace, the truth of your word the calling of your spirit, and even at an early age, Father, that they would say, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I thank you for Andy and Allison and for their family that stands here today. Father, I thank you for uh, Sean and, and Leanna, Father, and, and the commitment they make. Now, Father, I ask your blessings upon them and upon their families as we ask all of this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Amen. And kids, y'all really did well. <laughs> You do it. And you can be seated now. And you can start reading a book right now. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> it's always a wonderful time in the church. And, and I don't know, if you're, if you're here as parents today and you've been through something similar like that, I, I hope that renews that commitment. And parenting is tough. And there's days that we want to squeeze them because they're so lovable. And there's days that we just want to squeeze them. And, and so, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, well, we go through all of that. 
And uh, yet the joy of parenting is just amazing. And yet one of the responsibilities we have, and, and we realize this as spiritual beings, is not just that they get a proper college education or find a trade that they can excel in. That's wonderful. Well, we want them to be self-sufficient. I don't know, I haven't ever spoken to a single parent yet that said, you know, we're just really hoping that Junior is still in the basement at 43. Nobody does that. You know, they're going, okay, we want to launch them. And even sometimes when there's re-entry, we want to launch them out there to where they can just go out and be successful in their lives. And part of that is that they would come to their own spiritual understanding, that they would come to a place in their life when they would understand not your Jesus, but their Jesus. That just happens to be your Jesus, but that they really take ownership of that. And really to see that happening is when you start getting that fourth, fifth, sixth grader. I'm not saying that it can't happen before then, but I can remember our girls early, early on. And we still have the recording today, even though it's very archaic technology from that era of little Bethany singing the B-I-B-L-E. And we still have that. And for every once in a while, I'll go to the computer and I'll just kind of clip on that. And it just warms this daddy's heart. And yet there was a time that, that my sweet Bethany, that just loved Jesus so well, I don't know that I really want to go to church today. I, and, you know, and I saw that in the older one too. And it was just, you know, that time, and it wasn't a long season, but that season when they were not really against God, they didn't say that we don't believe in God, but they were kind of indifferent, you know, to God. And that's the, uh, parents, if you're not at that place yet, it's the saddest time of your spiritual journey as parents. It really is because you're going... I want my kids to be passionate about the Lord. I want them just to love everything about the local church. I want them to love everything that there is about Jesus. And it doesn't always go that way, perhaps for a season. But do you know that that season is a very, very important part in the life and maturation of a child? Because when they do kind of come and they begin to take ownership of their faith, it's not your Jesus anymore, but it's their Jesus. And one of the most amazing things is to see a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 17-year-old or a 21-year-old that becomes so passionate, in fact, sometimes exceeding the passion of the parents because they just have fallen in love for Christ. And they have just totally embraced that this is their Savior and Lord. This is the one that's going to lead them through life. And so through all those really dry seasons that can come and all those times that we're going, are they ever going to love Jesus again? Are they ever going to sing the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me? You know, that they're singing other songs, and, and it's meaningful to their heart. Uh, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27, 28. It may be a very familiar story to some of you. It's an Old Testament story, truth. I mean, these were real people. When I say story, I'm saying, okay, this is the events of their life. And it involved a a woman who went through a very, very difficult time. She was in a good marriage. She loved her husband. And her husband really, really loved her. And yet in those times, being able to have a child, especially a son, was very, very, very important. We're not here to argue the importance of a son over a daughter today. That was the culture then. And there was a reason for that in their minds and in the heritage. And so it was one of those things that that was just really important to be able to have children and especially to produce an heir, a son. And so uh, this woman did not have that ability, Uh, even though she and her husband for years had tried. She was not able to have a child, and it broke great, great, great uh, brokenness 
to her life. One of the things that they did back in the Old Testament that we don't do anymore is if your, child, if your wife could not have children, you, you kind of could have another wife. Again, we're not suggesting that, okay? This was Old Testament. This was a different culture, okay? And so we see Hannah, this one who could not have a child, we see her husband taking on a, another wife and, and almost immediately produced children, multitude of children, many children and a son. Now, that would be hard enough. I don't know that there's a lady in here that would not be able to identify with how hard that would be. And you don't even have to go back several thousand years to that culture to understand the weight. But there was one thing that even complicated it even a little bit more. And that is that this other wife, when the husband wasn't around, would very much remind Hannah that she was barren and that she could not have a child. And yet what we see in the scriptures we begin to open up is this beautiful prayer. And it comes to a place of complete brokenness before the Lord. And while God doesn't always answer every single prayer that we would pray, but we can beg and pray and pray and pray, and there's sometimes God's not going to say yes to that particular one, and it's because of God's will, and he does know better. And while that's all theologically sound, sometimes it doesn't sit with us because we're going, but this is my focus. And we would look at this story and go, no, why wouldn't God give Hannah a child? Not only does she just, she just wants to have a child and she wants to make her husband happy. And now that she's being derided by this other wife, why wouldn't God just do that? If he's truly a kind and loving God, why wouldn't he do that? And yet she comes to a place of brokenness. And as we fast forward a little bit, this is her prayer. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I've asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. Now, it's kind of like a series that you're watching. You're going, okay, don't give away what happens in the end. We've already gone to the end. And we already found out from this, okay, she must have had a baby. She did. And she had made a promise to God. Not a promise. We have to be really careful with our promises to God. I, I don't believe that we, I don't think that God is in the, the arm-twisting business to us, and I don't think that we're to try to twist God's arm. I think it's a kind of a dangerous prayer. Okay, God, I will do this if you do that. It's really not a really good, solid prayer, but I certainly understand why people would pray that prayer. And I can guarantee you that there's been times in my life because of a loved one or somebody like that and wanting to see them come through a surgery or coming through a sickness that you've prayed, okay, God, you just, you just save my dad. You just save my dad and I'll do this for you. I understand the emotion of that. Theologically, it's probably not really sound, but I get it because we're a relational people. She cries out to God. And she cries out for God to give her a son. Jerry, I realize that I am really skipping around on this, but if you can go over to uh, uh, 1 Samuel, verse 6 and 7, we're going to pick up uh, some of the the, kind of the stress that was upon her heart. Uh, What is the third word, if you can see that? Rival. Okay, this is the other wife. Okay? This is not a happy home. Okay? And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her 
because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went by and went on how long? Year after year. This wasn't a week. This wasn't a month. This wasn't a short season. Year after year, she's, she's in this situation. And as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used, she used to provoke her. So even going to worship, this other wife would provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. I, I say this, it may come off sounding like I'm trying to be silly or funny, and I promise you I'm not, even though it's going to have a certain amount of silliness because we know how husband-wife relationships work. But husbands, have you ever had your wife in a place of discouragement, a heaviness, crying, weeping, and you tried to make it better? Now, I say that sincerely, but I also know that a lot of husbands are going, yeah, it didn't work out real well. Well, that's what happens here. Her husband loves her. He loves her. And so what does he do? They come to this place... The husband's name is Elkanah. And, and he comes to the place and he sees this wife, Hannah, that he loves with all of his heart. He sees her despair, the heaviness, and he just wants to do what every other husband wants to do. I want to fix it. I, I want her to be happy. And so it came time to sacrifice. And back in those days they would sacrifice some and then other times they also would have a feast during these celebrations. And so he brought her the best portions of everything. He would give the, the other wife ample amount, a satisfactory amount, and then he would give his Hannah, the one that he really loved, this big portion. So look what it says in verse 8. When Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Now here's the part, guys. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now, he's a guy. And guys say guy things. And he truly wants to fix this. I love you. Don't you see that I love you even more? That this other one, yes, she provided sons, and so the, the heritage can go on and and, you know, that we can have ancestors and all that. But, but Hannah, my heart is with you. And I give you every opportunity. I try to show that to you. And, and bottom line, am I not worth my love, my, our relationship? Isn't, aren't I worth ten sons? Now, ladies, if she had to answer that in a one-word answer, what do you think the answer was? No. <laughs> what we see here is a husband that loves his wife supremely. He's willing to do anything that he can to help fix this. And it reminds us husbands that as much as we love our wives, that the greatest thing that we can ever do for our wives is to take her back to the throne of God. That doesn't mean that we are immaterial in the way that we would express our love. He expresses love in a lot of different ways. He tries to do everything we can as we should. We should live out this love that we have for our wives. And yet, ultimately, the, the greatest thing that we could ever do to our wives is, number one, for us to have that right relationship with God, but number two, to ever bring our wives before the throne of God and just lift her up in prayer. And so he does that, and he says, you know, he, he says this thing that really probably was like salt in the wounds. Look down at verse 10 and 11. She prays, and she begins to plead to God for a child. 
She was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now, you may kind of be thrown by that little last part, no razor shall touch his head. Uh, They had an order back in those days, and uh, there's Levites, and they would have this, uh, these ones that would come, and they were there, a Nazarite, for God's service, and they wouldn't cut their hair. There were certain things that they would not do. They would not um, drink wine or alcohol. They um, uh, would not go near dead bodies. That would render them ceremonially unclean. A lot of things that are kind of unfamiliar to us, different culture. But basically what she's doing is, okay, you give me a son, and I will give him back to you. Not just kind of in theory. I will let him be raised to be this one who's totally committed to serving you, God. Here's the things, guys. How, how many desperate prayers have gone up on the hospital bedside of a little infant? From a mom, a dad, a grandparent? God, you do this. You save our precious little one, and I will serve you all the days of their life. I'll make sure that they serve you all the days of their life. And I'm not here to say that those are not appropriate prayers. And I'm not saying that, that any of us would not be at a place in our lives when we do that, when we see this situation before us. But here's what I found out. There's a time to make a vow. There's a time that we make promises. There's a time that we make commitments, even as these family makes commitments today. And then there's a time of living out the commitments. And that's the hard part. And in the dire moment, in the emotions and all that, you know, it's easy and it's, it's cute and it's all those things. And that's why we really stress that this is really the parents. It's a parent making a dedication to raise the children to, to know Christ well and, and to serve well. And that's what Hannah does. And yet we estimate probably about three years later, after the baby was weaned, the time came when she was going to have to take her son back to this prophet, back to uh, the temple and back to the place where her son would grow up to be a, you know, this Levite, Nazarite, this workman of the Lord. One thing in that desperate moment to make this commitment, another one to follow through. And yet that's what we see in these verses, verse 27 and 28. She actually brings her son back and, and, and she gives them to the, uh, the priest there, Eli. She said, I made this commitment and I'm following through. Let me read again that great commitment that she made. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. Andy and Allison, Sean and Leanna, today is an important day in your life. You, you make a vow. You made a commitment. I think I heard we do. This church with you, what we do. And, and yet, 
the reality of that is going to be lived out in the next two years, ten years, twenty years, every day. It's not that you just sit down and say, okay, we're going to read this book. The pastor said, read this book. 52 weeks, we got 52 chapters. But that every day you would show them the beauty of the gospel. That you would show them this God who's majestic. And that when hard times come upon the Crawford family, that you would show them, no, not that we're, not that we're perfect people and that we're invincible, that you would say that, you know, but we have an invincible God. And when those celebration times come, you say, okay, this is a great celebration. And yet we celebrate because we have a God who has blessed us to be able to celebrate this. See, it's kind of that they would see Jesus reflected in all that you do. And we're imperfect people. I'm glad that... Have you ever seen yourself and your child and the, the lesser part of yourself? That's a scary thing, isn't it? Where do you learn that word? Daddy... You know, it's just one of those things you're going, great. <laughs> I will never speak again. <laughs> we, we get that. We, we get that. And yet if we have opportunity for them to, to catch our anger or to catch this, whatever it might be, some of these lower parts of our humanity, certainly we have the opportunity to influence our children of those things of what brings joy, what brings completeness, and what brings truly a rest for our soul. It's an amazing thing, this ability that God has given to every parent, to grandparents, to a church body, to surround young minds, young forming minds, of what it means to truly just love Christ and to serve hard after Him. This morning as we close... We see in the first two verses of uh, chapter 2, scholars have, it actually goes longer than that, but um, it's called Hannah's Song. And uh, so she goes back and, and she, she gives little Samuel to Eli, and you can only imagine how hard that was, whether he was three years old, and, and I, I think that she could still see him from time to time. She actually makes some coats and brings them to him, so she still has some interaction. But for the most part, her three-year-old little baby is now under the tutelage of this priest. And you can only imagine how difficult that was when you've been waiting all your life for this son. And yet she begins to sing this song. In fact, if you go to the New Testament, you would even find that this was an influence on what we call Mary's song. When Mary, giving birth to Jesus, has a song of praise and worship. And and many scholars believe that it was kind of reflected upon this, of Hannah's song. Look at verse 1 and 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Look at verse 2 and we'll end. There is none holy like you, Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. What a challenge to raise raise the future spiritual leaders of the kingdom for a church, but for you as parents and as families. We have men and women that have loved God passionately and, and they're passing and they're going into glory. 
And there needs to be this new generation that comes along that loves Jesus well and just has a passion for him. And these are our children and our grandchildren. What a beautiful prayer that we can show them. Is that all the, here's all the facts of the Bible. Yes, let's teach them the stories of the Bible and the principles of the Bible and the commandments and all that. That's all good. But let's teach them what verse 2 says. There, there, there is none holy like the Lord. There's none besides you. There is no rock like our God. You teach your children that. You teach your children that by the demonstration of your life through all your ups and your downs. And I think that you're going to be paving that road, as Mr. Bruce said, really wide. And it's not that they're going to kind of at times kind of drift here and drift there as we did. And yet, you show them verse 2 in your life, living out a life of worship and love for Christ. And even in this, I think those words of Mr. Bruce, you know, my daddy paved it so wide in all my rebellion, it was almost impossible for me to fall off. And what a blessing that one day, little Knox would say, Maybe you're, you're gone by that point. And he could tell a group of men in his 50s or 60s. Well, you know, my daddy paved a pretty wide road. And my mama loved Jesus. And it was almost impossible for me to fall off that paved road. What a blessing that would be if one day Miss Lucy grows up and Hannah grows up. And Hannah would do it pretty straightforward. <laughs> They've already got a theologian. <laughs> and their oldest is a theologian. The second one is the one goes, okay, are you sure that's true? <laughs> and it's going to be interesting to see little Miss Lucy and what personality God unwinds in her. We're going to close uh, today. Usually we have a reflection song. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to so- uh, end with this, uh, a song. Uh, the Gettys, uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Even if you're unfamiliar with them as artists, you'd be familiar with some of their songs. They have, uh, they're a young couple, and yet they have reintroduced the beauty of hymns back into modern worship. And some of the most theologically sound songs, beautiful songs, they have brought back to the local church. And this is a song that they wrote for their little daughter, Eliza. And uh, we're going to end with that. But let me give you, I, I hate to do this, uh, we did not get until just really uh, late the supper list for this Wednesday night. It's not on your bulletin, but it's Bradley cooking, chicken marsala. It's really, really going to be good. And so as you go out today after this part, make sure you go by there. And, I, again, I hate even interrupting our spiritual time to talk about that, but I, I want you to know that if you're going to come to Wednesday night supper this week, we'd love to have you go back there so that he can uh, fix uh, the appropriate amount. But let me pray, and then Sherry, if you can just uh, play that as we would close this morning. Father, we love you. Father, I, I do lift up Sean. Father, leading his home, Father, that you would just, uh, Father, give him strength and courage. Father, that he would surround himself with people like Eric and others, that he would be able to go and say, hey, I'm kind of struggling right here. Brother, can you help me? And, and Father, that other men could could come alongside him. Father, I pray that for Leanna this morning. Surround her, Father, with those that would love her well. Father, I pray that for, for Andy today, Father, that as he raises three girls, 
that, Father, that he would see this precious gift that God has given him. And, Father, every time I talk to him, I, I admire his fatherhood. I admire the man that he is. And yet, Father, I pray that he would live out this verse too. And Father Allison, she loves so well. Father, give her strength. Father, thank you that not only has she been a great mother, but Father, that she has influenced other mothers. And yet, Father, I know there's times that she needs the body of Christ and sisters to come beside her and encourage her. So, Father, let us be the church. Help us to be an encouragement one to another. We thank you for our children. Father, even uh, we who did not go through this dedication time today, Father, thank you for renewing this commitment in our own heart that we would love our children and our grandchildren well and that we would ever lead them to the beauty of the cross and that we would pray for them and guide them and give them this greatest gift that we could give them and that is an example of what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Father, in all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.